Welcome to Creativity, the podcast where art and engineering collide. My name is Max Maker, and this is my co-host, Jeremy S. Cook. Hi, everyone. And today we've got a very special guest. His name is none other than Jimmy Teresa, a great, great person to have for our one-year anniversary. So hey. uh, how are you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing good. I'm in uh, New York. And Max, where are you? you? Which part of Germany are you in? Uh, north of Germany, Hamburg. Wow. And then Jeremy, where are you? I'm in Florida in the Tampa area. So the part... Um you know, the part with sun and such, I guess. Now, you, you said, Jimmy, you said it's uh, raining there in New York right now. It's pretty pretty nasty from what I understand. It's been raining. It rains part of every single day for the last probably two weeks is what it seems. It seems like it rained the entire summer. It's just really disheartening. Oh. We had one of the best summers ever. We had like two months probably of 25 degrees every day, no rain. Oh. It was so good. And I timed it really well to first work outside where it was nice, and then it was starting to rain. I could, uh, when it was too hot, I could work in my basement, which is my new workshop, which is nice and cold. So <laughs> it couldn't have been any better. Oh, it's been horrible here. And then we're about to do the blacksmith class, and so we're all here trying to sort out the mud. Uh, a couple of people showed up early to help, and uh, Rory's here. Rory's the teacher, so he's out there just sorting out the potential problems doing some dry runs on some of the equipment making sure everything works but we we plan on having a big group of people so, so, so that's one weekend you're fun. doing yeah just this we start tomorrow night is dinner tomorrow night is friday so everyone gets and we do a meet and greet everyone gets together for dinner and then we start saturday work all day sunday usually we'll go to the flea market with the crew to go find tools which is near my oh, house that sounds good and then we get back here early as possible and we go back to work and then Monday, people kind of mill about and hang out at their leisure and take off. Oh, it sounds like a lot of fun. Is this the first uh, class you've done? This is the first blacksmith class, but it's about the fifth or sixth class we've done with a group of people. In fact, six people have come back again this time. Some of them for like the fourth time. So oh, wow. what happened to the rest it's of like them? It's like the, the all... annual get away from wife weekend. <laughs> exactly. What, what Jeremy? <laughs> I was just saying, what, what happened to the rest of them? Did they, they perish in the uh, earlier classes? Oh, no, no. But I'm just six? saying these are uh, these are students that just repeat, you know, obviously <laughs> schedules all don't align. So I think the, the first uh, 10 guys that came would come to every single one every time. <laughs> we could only accommodate 10 in the house. This time Taylor got creative and she figured out some local lodging. So... We have five people staying outside of the house and 10 people staying in the house. They're just staying at, we have a bed and breakfast down the street that we work with and another one a couple of miles away. So we're going to have people coming and going from different locations all to converge for the class. And out of, like I said, out of the 15 that we're going to expect this weekend, we, we have six people that have been to prior classes before. One of them that's been to every single one of them. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. So I guess, I wow. guess they're staying... Since they're staying in the hotels, I guess, uh, I guess your new town's starting to really, really love the extra business, right? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, I, if people around here have uh, who get to know me a little bit. We're really excited that I, I am a so-called celebrity on YouTube and that I am bringing people here. The local place down the street where we go and eat, it's just about a quarter mile away from my house. I bring people there all the time. In fact, eight of them just went over there for lunch while I was busy getting ready to talk to you guys. <laughs> and so I said to my, my crew down there, I said, we're going to have a bunch of strangers here. So if anybody gives you a lip, call me. I'll come straighten them out. That's awesome. You should talk to, um, you know, these states that give you like tax breaks for, you know, industry coming into the area and stuff. You say, well, yeah, you know, like Amazon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, we, talk, we have a, a little bit. We're like on the verge of like agricultural because we have chickens and um, stuff like that. So 
we've explored some of that so that we can get some tax uh, property tax breaks because of that. Oh, nothing's so, so official yet, but it's something we've explored. You've both been at uh, the Baker Fair in New York last week, I I think. Um, yeah. Do you miss New York or do you actually say, no, it's, it was the right decision to move to the countryside? Oh, yeah. Do I miss New York City? No. For those that don't know, I was living in Manhattan for many, many years. I've owned this house. I've been in Manhattan for 25 years, but I've owned this house for the last 15 years. And for the most of those 15 years, nearly all of those 15 years, except for the last, the house was a vacation getaway. So I'd come here, I'd buy big tools and store them here and work for the work on them and at this house for two and three days at a time. It wasn't until I moved here that I actually spent a full seven days here in a row or now now every day I spend here. But I kept my apartments. I go down to the city about once every two weeks to get my mail. I still have some mail going there. And my friend takes care of my apartment. He, he has the keys. So he's always making sure that, you know, there's nothing's going crazy in there. And um, I don't miss New York City one bit. When I go down there, I spend most of my time looking for a parking spot held up in traffic <laughs> it's just it's just a, a real pain in the ass so being up here i could hop in my car i can go get some materials here i can get creative and go to a sawmill i can in a whim which is why my collection of junk has grown so much because i can just hop in my truck and go find something throw it in my truck and drive back when i was in the city all the time i'd have to think like oh if i'm gonna go say a hundred miles from new york city that's a real big trip to go away from New York and make it my way back into New York with a piece of equipment. Usually meant I had to triangulate, go to the house, drop it off, and then come back to the city. Now on a whim, I'll just hop in the car and go get some cool thing that I find on Craigslist that's 80 miles away and come right back. So I, I really enjoy the freedom of just being able to breeze and do what I want up here. Not to mention there's yeah. no neighbors to complain about sounds and smells. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, my wife, you, we went up to the Maker Fair that weekend too. I, my wife went with me and, um, you know, just talking to her, it's like, it's just funny, you know, you're in this area and the Maker Fair was in Queens. We were staying in Manhattan and I'm just thinking like, this is almost the equivalent of somewhere if you were, you know, like where you live now out in the country, you know, it's more like 50 miles, you know, just, just time-wise, I guess. Is that- What's that? What are you saying? The Maker Fair, how far from New York City was it? Well, I, I guess what I'm saying is- Somewhere in, say, Manhattan versus Queens, it might be five miles away, but to where you are now, that's like being 20 miles away. Is that is that accurate or is that... Oh, I'm, I am 130 miles north of New York City right now. From from my old apartment to the Maker Fair was six miles. I happened to notice it on the... Because I, I took the subway to the Maker Fair. <laughs> I, I camped out in my apartment and I parked my car in my old street. But yeah, so the Maker Fair to my apartment was six miles and the Maker Fair... Or excuse me, my apartment to where I am now is 135 miles. Okay, so, interesting. So I'm way up north. I'm definitely way up north. Okay, very cool. Well, actually, the the topic this week, we thought we'd do a boating special since all of us come from somewhat maritime cities. I guess you could call uh, New York a maritime city, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't they don't use the city like they used to. But if you see old pictures of the city, there's all kinds of beautiful boats all around the whole edge of the city, and now all that industry goes somewhere else. And the edge of the city is just like a kind of forgotten wasteland for the most part, except for tourism. <laughs> yeah, but I saw they found a lot of uh, old boats in the, in the basements underneath the buildings. Oh, probably, yeah, because uh, you know the the city, the shape of Manhattan just kept expanding into the into the uh, into the harbor. You know, they kept adding on. So when you see parts of Manhattan, like for instance, at the end of Manhattan near the um, near the Statue of Liberty, there's a, a big uh, I guess what you might call it a fort. I don't know. It's like a big battery where like they would store like wartime equipment. 
And if you see old pictures of Manhattan, that is on a roadbed that's way out in the water. And now that building is still there, but there's land all around it. So when you see old pictures of it, old paintings of the tip of Manhattan, I figure it's like some fort. It's like Fort Tyron or something. I figure what it's called. But it's standing alone in the water. And they put it out there because it was all full of explosives. And also they felt it was you know, more strategic or whatever. But as it's important diminished, they didn't get rid of the building, but they added land around it. It's pretty, pretty cool. I guess property cool. is expensive. So. Yeah, they just keep adding to the edge. <laughs> There's a city called Battery Park City. It's just a, it's well, it's really more of a neighborhood, but it's called Battery Park City, and it's just across the street from the World Trade Center, and that whole maybe four or five square miles of, of property was the excavated land when they dug up for the World Trade Center to put the basements in the World Trade Center. They just dug it up and dumped oh, it in the water wow. right next to this to the highway, and it, it expanded. It created this whole neighborhood. Really, that, that's. <laughs> That's insane, just the volume of, of dirt. I guess, I guess it happened. And by the way, that's where Casey Neistat lives. Neistat lives in that, that little area of town. Hmm. If you guys follow Casey, he lives in Battery Park City. Don't tell anybody. I, I used I told to you follow that. him, but at, at some point I, I, I couldn't. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't have time to watch the daily vlog of him. Yeah, right, right, right. So you must be buddies then, the two of you. Both no, I, I actually, I never, I never met Casey. The only reason I know he lives in Battery Park City is because every time he hops on his skateboard and skates away, I just know the background scenic. Uh, but I bet he knows about you. Oh, maybe. Yeah, well, he knows that this be, guy, Jimmy DeResta. People tweet about he and I all the time. When are you guys going to work together? And he never answers. And then the same thing happens with Adam Savage all the time. People always tweet about us together and everybody Did you meet him says, at the Maker Fair? No, I know. I never, I've never been introduced to him. I've been in the same vicinity as him probably eight times through Maker Fair, and no one's ever introduced us. He's always hiding. Uh, he, you know, he just did a stage thing and like kind of scurried away. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I didn't actually see him either because I missed the stage thing, and I, I don't. I expected. I thought I'd see him somewhere wandering around as I did some other people, but I yeah. guess. But you saw Laura Kampf. Just, that's all that matters. That's right. Well, you know, we we'd had her on our podcast. So I wanted to make sure to say, to say hello. So. Say hi. <laughs> so next year you'll say hello to me when you see me, I, since we've just broken the ice here. Absolutely, Jimmy. I, I didn't, you know, we were talking about this earlier. It's like, well, you know, Jimmy, everyone's, everybody wants to see him at this event. So I don't want to just be like, hey there, I'm Jeremy Cook. You know who I am, right? <laughs> or, you know, whatever I'd say. I don't, I don't even know. But um, but yeah, I will say hi next time. So And, Good. and like Thanks. like you were saying, Jeremy I guess, is a little shy. I, I suppose. I suppose I'm uh, I'm outgoing for an engineer for what right. that for what that means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. so, so, Jimmy, we know you're a very busy person and you don't have a lot of time to spend. Uh, it's free time. Um, so, in in your childhood, did you spend any time on the um, lakes and rivers around New York? You know, it's funny. My uncle had a boat, and we would always go out on my uncle's boat, and we would go fishing. And then his siblings, all my first cousins all got into boating and me and my brothers never did but anytime we ever went boating or had any time on the ocean it was typically spent on my uncle's boat or one of my cousins one of his children's boats they all still have they're all adults obviously uh you know as, as old as me and older and they all have boats so it's funny how their father created that culture in the family and my dad was never into boats <laughs> as a little <laughs> little kid we would go on a rowboat and we would go crabbing and catching crabs and fish in the local inlet we never went out in the ocean as, as compared to my uncle's boat was like we'd go out into the ocean go deep sea fishing with my dad nice. we always stayed along the edge it was much more intimate rowboating with a little tiny motor on the back and we'd stay <laughs> right in the bay and so i do have a lot of good memories of of watertime stuff 
when my brother flipped out of the boat, it was fun. We all laughed at him. It was a really fun time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. A few years no. ago, you bought, uh, you built these uh, hinges for a motorboat. Was that for your relative's boat? Oh, that's funny. That's a good question. Well, one of my neighbors who's also, uh, I grew up in a town that had a, has a big, big boat, co boat culture. And a lot of the guys I grew up with were also into boats and building and fixing boats. And a couple of the guys I grew up with contacted me and they saw that I was welding on YouTube. And they said, you could make these for us. I said, well, I don't know anything about stainless steel TIG welding. And they go, oh, well, you can figure it out. Just do it. I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> and so they kind of encouraged me to do it and I did it and it worked out fine. And, uh, you know, he went and had to, he had to do some sort of special treatment on the, on the stainless after I was done with it. And he went and had it all figured out. I think he may have even had them chromed or something, but he was really happy with the net result. So that was cool. And you know, I, I wouldn't have done it if they didn't encourage me, I would have blew it off because I just assumed that there was some sort of chemistry or something I didn't know anything about. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. It's difficult, you know, corrosion and salt water. Yeah, it, it's horrible for steel. Mm -hmm. my, my parents bought a, a brand new caravan like a year ago and already the underside is rusting just from the soil on the road. Yeah, yeah even though it was covered in, in zinc and whatever, you know, they didn't put just bare metal out there, but it's so hard to, to keep it clean. Yeah, yeah, well, touch is life trying to keep the rust off of stuff. That's my whole life is spent keeping things from getting <laughs> rusty. <laughs> it is. That's why I give into it. And uh, so lately, people started calling me DeRusta on Instagram. DeRusta. That's DeRusta. Because that's I'm always funny. scraping rust off the stuff. The nice. um, up here, the weather is hot and cold and hot and cold, and my shops aren't properly temperature controlled. So in the evening, everything gets cold, and in the morning, it gets a little humid, and then all of a sudden, all the heavy steel sweats. And if everything's ah. not completely always covered with oil, everything gets sweaty. And I'll forget, you know, the the WD-40 and some of the other oils I put on them evaporate over time. And if I forget, I'll come into my lathe. We'll have orange ways. It really drives me crazy. So, have you ever, oh, no. I'm have you ever thought about trying just, to make sure. Have you ever thought about... Oh, Go ahead. Have you ever turn. thought about just going with the uh, DeRusta thing, maybe coming out with a product or something? for? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got I got a couple up with Rust uh, Evaporust. That stuff is great. If you guys have ever used Evaporust, it tastes great too. It's amazing. Really? Well, I'm I not, thought I'm you kidding. were the vinegar guy. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, I was because it was working, but now since I've found Evaporust, I'm an Evaporust guy. Yeah, I, I didn't drink it. I'm just kidding. But it is all natural, apparently. It's completely non-toxic. <laughs> And I've learned that from Eric at Hand Tool Rescue. It's completely non-toxic. It's you could drink it and not get injured. Not I don't encourage you to, but that's what there, they claim. There's a new challenge for the Instagram kids. The <laughs> evaporous challenge. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, salt water boats, rust. What does it all mean? Now, now what about you? Well, Max? I, gu I guess fifty percent of the time is just spent on maintenance on boats. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy. Uh, I'm learning about the canoe that I built. I'm learning that the uh, the last few finishing touches is varnish. And I've epoxied it. I've epoxy meshed the whole boat itself. And I'm slowly building up the varnish coat. So I still do need to make the, the seat frames. I haven't made the seat frames yet. And uh, that's the last touch that I have to do. And then I'll be considered done. But uh, varnish is definitely... Uh, something you could reapply over time as far as maintenance goes. So how long has this project been going on, this, this canoe build? I started building the, the strong back in June. So June, July, August, September, October. So we're looking at close to five months from start to finish. Okay, well, that's not too bad. 
Yeah, and that's also honestly working. I could, I could, I could have done it a lot faster had I spent much more time on it. But it was originally supposed to be done September, middle of September, like around September fifteenth. That's when I was supposed to be done. But they moved the opening of the store, so I kind of put the brakes on it a little bit and started focusing on other projects that were more apparent. And then I went back to it. So now the new due date is November seventeenth. So it got pushed up a month. Nice. And, and, and what was the inspiration to start from all these ideas that you have? Um, why this and why write this right now? Uh, well, it's a pretty simple. I got the canoe kit. It, many people know my history. I'll go back just a little bit. Ten years ago, this fall, ten years ago, Nick Offerman and I became friends through my brother. And we just became buddies in, with woodworking backgrounds in common. And, Obviously. And Nick, yeah, it's Nick a good wanted match. To, Yeah, Nick wanted to build a canoe and he came to meet me in New York while he was going to be spending about six months in New York. He came to meet me and he said, he said, hey, I want to build a canoe and I thought I might rent space from you. He knew me because him and my brother worked together on a TV show and he knew me vaguely from some of the TV stuff that I had done. Nick wasn't yet the celebrity he is today. He was still yet to be Ron Swanson. And <laughs> so uh, he wasn't like, well, I walk down the street with him now. Everyone meets, you know, it's like walking down the street with Elvis Presley. But at the time, you know, he was a little less uh, popular. And so he was going to build this canoe and he contacted uh, the company and said, do you have a DVD or like kind of a visual guide to go by? And they said, no, just the book. And he said, well, I'm about to build this canoe. And he said, and he had just met me personally, but he knew my background because of my brother. And he said, he goes, let me ask my buddy, Jimmy, maybe he'll be interested in doing the, the videography for it. And so he called me back after that conversation and said, hey, these guys might be interested in you filming the canoe project would you want to do it and i was like all right let's do it and that was our bonding experience we went up together picked up two canoe kits came back to the city and over the course of the next six months from september 2008 until the spring of 2009 we built this uh well nick built the canoe and i filmed 25 hours of him building it and oh wow <laughs> and out of the 25 hours, I got it down to three hours and about five or six chapters. That's uh, on a DVD. You could still buy it on Amazon. And so part of that deal was Nick got to keep one of the canoes and I got to keep one. And the one that Nick made me is hanging in my dining room right now. I never did use it, but it's here in the house. It's a beautiful piece hanging from the ceiling. And so at that point, I always promised Bear Mountain Boats that I would build my own because Nick built that. I really didn't build it. And now that I got popular on YouTube, they contacted me and said, hey, anytime you want to build a boat, let me know. I was like, they said, we're sending like five kits to a guy in Long Island. We'll just put your kit in with his. And so when I went to pick up my kit from the person, it happened to be Trent Pressler, who was just getting popular on Instagram. If you guys know Trent, um, check out oh, Trent is, Pressler's is, channel. Is, is he building this insane canoe? With yeah, like with the, the bronze nose. Oh, yeah. 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 That's Trent. With so my kit went tie. to... Yeah. My my kit went to Trent's house and I went out there and he and I became friends. We're still friendly. And he's been offering me some really great advice behind the scenes. And Trent's built a lot of canoes. And so I got the kit and I had it, I sat on it for nearly two years waiting for a sponsor to maybe pay me <laughs> to build it. And, and I asked everybody and everyone's like, I don't know. I don't know. And so I knew I wanted to build it. I was going to build it anyway. We had out a sponsor. I've exhausted all my efforts. And also, it was a matter because I moved in the middle of those two years and I got reset up. And so it was kind of a perfect timing when I got contacted by Filson, which is a, a clothing brand in America, settled, uh, started in Seattle. 
and it's kind of it's like rustic camping clothes little uh kind of higher end stuff higher quality and they kind i've been doing a little bit of stuff for them because they're one of their stores is right near my apartment in new york so i became friendly with the guys that work there because i was always buying their clothes and then as i got popular on youtube they're like hey why don't you do a demo in the store so i did that and then um I did a couple of demos in the store and then I became a little bit more talked about among the employees at Filson. And then they, they're they opening a new version of the store. So they're going to have the downtown store near me and then they're opening up one uptown, which is they're calling the flagship New York store because it's much bigger and right in the heart of Union Square. And they said, would you do some build for our Union Square opening? Would you build maybe a canoe paddle or something? And I was like, well, I can build a canoe if you want. Do a whole canoe, yeah. (laughs) I said, I'll build the whole canoe and we'll bring it and present it that weekend. Because at the time we were talking in like uh, May or June. And uh, so I said, I think I have issues. We have enough time to build it by the fall. I was like, I think so. And so September 15th was my original deadline. And I was all rocking and rolling. And then when I said, when they they put the brakes on that, I was able to relax a little bit. And um, anyway, so that's how we made a deal for me to build the canoe to bring it to the store. And in the meantime, they had another little event at the downtown store, and they asked me to make canoe paddles for that event. And I did, and that went really well. They, they were, uh, just they wanted some hubbub about their new clothes, the new, new line of workwear they were doing, which I'm happy to be wearing right now. You see how beautiful my pants are? Yeah, no, it looks looks great. I mean, we can't see this is, you, but this I, is just I sound. Assume. This is just sound. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. It you does a good job smiling, of absorbing Jimmy. the <laughs> There's no camera. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I am completely covered in mud. Like my, I'm wearing my new Filson workwear pants that are completely muddy from the knee down. I am. I look like like I just like trounced through like a lunar landscape of mud. I'm completely covered in mud in my shirt. I got like mud speckles on my face. You know, I had that last year at around Christmas when I got stuck on a stupid field with the RV in the mud, and I tried oh. for a few hours to get out of the mud because uh, I, I just had to reverse like three meters. That was it, yeah. and I would have been on solid uh, ground. And I thought, no, I'm not getting a tow truck just for this. And it was in the middle of the night, so I thought, nobody's seeing this, so I, I might as well try out everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I can MacGyver myself out of the situation. And that's a Wait till you hear my, my podcast. My the, the podcast <laughs> we're gonna air. Our podcast that'll air tomorrow, I, the whole first five minutes is about um, – the first five minutes is, is all about us uh, – about me getting two cars stuck in the mud early this week. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the real pain in the ass. So, so did you get the other Makes it difficult stuck? to. So, did you get the other car stuck when you're trying to pull out the first one, or did they both get yes, stuck? Yes, into... exactly. <laughs> Makes it difficult to uh, get somebody, get a third person to help you. Yeah, and uh, so I, actually, I, I was able uh, to get it all out, but you know, it's just one thing begat another problem, begat another problem, and in the little discussion, I discussed. Uh, I discussed, uh, you know, trying to maintain your composure with all these hurdles and setbacks that keep popping up. That was yeah. my, my impetus for talking about that. You yeah, I, I never understood those people that like to go off-roading for fun and they get stuck <laughs> and then they pull the, themselves out and then they get stuck again. For, for me, it's just, uh, you know, it raises my, my blood pressure when, when I have these kinds of problems. Yeah, but when you do that, you're, you know, you're, it's, it's like the sport, you know, you don't... You're not trying to get from one place to another. You're trying to get over this big hill or whatever. I, I've done it a few times. I, I personally enjoy it. So, 
Of course. Know. What about you? Yeah, <laughs> of course. So, you know, being I want to mention that Jeremy drives a van, though. He doesn't have a truck. I do. I drive a minivan, but occasionally I can um, get access to a four-wheel drive truck or a well, Jeep when or you, whatever. When you're four-wheel driving on flat surface that's like 10 feet from your house, it's not fun at all because you want to just be on your way and doing your own thing. And you st- <laughs> all four wheels are spinning in like six inches of mud. And you just the more you work at it, the worse it gets for you to get out of it. Uh, and yeah, I was getting so boards and gravel, kid. and it was a pain in the ass. So, yes, sir. So this canoe kit, what, what what's inside it? Uh, what do you get? It's funny. It, the word them? kit denotes like I'm like, oh, you built the canoe. I'm like, yeah. They go, I go, oh, I got the kit from Bear Mountain Bone. They go, oh, it was a kit. Like they say it like with a little stink face. I'm like, yeah, it was a kit. Is the kit like you know one the, giant beam of timber that you have to saw into yeah. new strips? <laughs> That's it. That's basically what it's like. It's like the volume of wood you need to make a canoe in the kit. The kit comes with 17 foot strips, one inch wide by a quarter inch thick, with a cove and a and a and a bullnose and a cove on them, so they kind of nest together. Oh, and, that's good. At least easy. And the that. plans and and basically a rolled up set of plans for you to make the strong back. And it's it's just a piece of paper. It's like three pieces of paper. Shows you the plan and the elevation of the canoe, so you have some size reference. And then the second page is all of the the strongback stations. And it only shows you six of them. Well, seven, because one is uh, five of them get repeated and one of them is a zero. So you go, <laughs> yeah, you go the zero station, you build the zero station and you go six in each direction. And then you have the, uh, the recurves at the end, which hold the stems. So you have to make all these parts for the canoe and... So when you say it's a kit, all they really provide you with is the material to build it and the plans. And that's it. You got to really, you really got to figure everything out on your own. And there's Does obviously it come with epoxy and, and, and the glass fiber? and It comes with the fiber and it comes with the epoxy. And uh, yeah, so you basically, and you get the only, and you get the wood for the stems, the gunnels and the canoe itself. And that's just a bunch of strips of ash, a bunch of strips of cedar and like i said the the wood is all just it's just cut it's not like it's not like put this piece next to that piece it's up to you to decide <laughs> how which in which pattern they've broken out in color so if they take like a like a beige colored piece they will mill all 10 of them and then tape them together so you know that they're all consecutive pieces and mm-hmm. so you get these like did, did you pay attention to different that? color i did i did yeah you make a conscious effort to make a zebra stripe or you know alternating colors or however you want to do it and i, de- I definitely did my co- my canoe has a very specific pattern in it and it, that's up to you to do it as you as you build very neat it seems like you can put all the dark ones together and then all the light ones together and then you have like a canoe with a dark bottom with light sides or you could weave them the way i did it i have dark light dark light dark light you know it's it's completely up to you so there is no way and then each one of those strips get bent and and snapped into place it, you know it's not it's not it's not as easy as it sounds when you say the word kit <laughs> i guess half the people oh, it's, it's definitely this, not easy i guess half the people listening to this think that's awesome probably half you know it's it's, it's interesting <laughs> it's like an advertisement for certain people and a discouragement for others I guess. no you know honestly what's <laughs> cool about this this canoe kit uh, and this canoe process they're not the only company bear mountain boats is is my is my friends and the people i'm i'm pushing in this case but there are other companies that make these so-called kits. And the good thing about them is, is, is it challenges you just enough. If you follow the directions, and there's plenty of other canoes being built on YouTube, and mine will be eventually a video on YouTube. And it, it encourages you 
encourages you to interact with various different types of woodworking, which you ordinarily wouldn't do if you were, say, making a you know a piece of furniture. You have to do bent lamination. You have to do you have to clamp wood that's like under heavy tension while the glue is drying. So you have to figure out all these fixturings to get things dry. And then I built my canoe over the strongback without stapling it, which is another technique. You put each strip and you staple it at each station. And then once everything's mm-hmm. glued, you pull all the staples out. And then that creates oh, you do the a, tape thing. I did the tape thing with clamps at each station. So mine doesn't have any staple holes in it. Like, for instance, if you happen to see Nick Offerman's The Huckleberry, which you Google it, it pops right up. And that's the first canoe that we built on camera. And the, the Huckleberry was a stapled canoe. So everything was stapled in place at every station. And then through the epoxy process, all the, the staple holes get filled in. But they leave a witness mark. So you have this mm-hmm. regular pattern throughout the whole canoe, which looks kind of cool because it's exactly the same on every station. And if you do it without the way I did it, which was just clamp it each time, you got to slowly glue your strips and walk away. So I glue one strip one side, one the other side, walk away. You got to got to let the glue dry. With the, with the stapling, you can just keep moving along. It's a much quicker build. And what's the takeaway? Which one would you prefer? Uh, well, I, I like the idea of not stapling it. It would drive me crazy because knowing me, I'm, I'm like, I'm usually in a rush and I'm a bit haphazard. You guys can see my YouTube videos. I'll staple it and miss the mark pull it out, put another staple in it. So like, I just said, you know what? <laughs> uh, Nick was so meticulous and he made sure every staple line was exactly in line with the previous state. Like mine would be all zigzaggy and you have three quarters of an inch to land that staple. And I would use every three quarter of that inch on every single station. And so yeah, I, think I just Nick does it for myself. honor, but you do it for the result, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, so and that brings I, us to a question that Jeremy yeah. and I discussed uh, off uh, off the record, uh, not off the record, off the recording, uh, which is lots of people put so much effort into these canoe builds and then they get beat up on the lake anyway because you, right. you drive onto rocks and you're on the sandy yeah. beach and you get scratches. Yep. Yep. And, and, and where's the trade-off between making something nice and then actually using it? Uh I, I, with a canoe, I think you just do your best to make it look good looking and you go out there knowing it's going to get beat up. Uh, like Nick's, Nick's Huckleberry has been fairly scratched up. I've seen it in person. And, and that's when you take it back in the shop, you flip it over, you palm sand it, you give it a few new coats of varnish. And you just go out there knowing it's going to get used. And I was a little uptight when I first put it together because there was a couple of mistakes and things you'll never see. Like now that it's so far behind me, when it was the only – like when I had it all glued together and I had a big piece of wood to fill back in or – my, I was trying to keep my – where everything meets across the whole entire center line. It was a little mismatched and I was splicing pieces of wood together to make one thing longer than the other. Now that that's all behind me and it's completely epoxy, you can't see any of those mistakes that I was struggling with. They're, they're all put to bed and you don't even notice them because what you're looking at now is the, the entire thing. When I only had that one little thing that was what I was focusing on, that's all I could see. The gunnels weren't there. The stems weren't put in place. The things weren't sanded out. I didn't have the curve cut perfectly from from stem to stern. Now that it's all together, I'm looking back. I can't even find the mistakes that I thought was so glaring. And did epoxying go right? No air bubbles? No, you got to just stick with it. You can't just do it and leave. You got to stick with it for a few hours and make sure that as the the epoxy begins to cure, you're pushing all those air bubbles out. Because ah, if you okay. 
if you push on the mesh, you'll pop, you know, you think you're going to like, oh, let me stretch the mesh back over here. You do that, you pull open a, an air bubble somewhere else. So you really got to be conscious, just constantly walking in circles around it. And with that squeeze, you pushing everything down. And as it begins to get sticky, it's like honey, which is completely sticky to begin with, but honey that will eventually become cured hard. And you got to kind of stick around while it starts to cure and make sure that it's all pushed down. The hardest part is at the stems at each end because that's where you go from being a flat curve to a compound curve. And then you're trying to get the mesh to lay flat while it comes into the stem. In some cases, it kind of does like a a few degree curve to a different direction while it's also completely curved on the hull of the boat. And that's where it always puckers the most. So you got to really constantly spend all your time at those ends. On the long, broad, concave curves, it's convex curves, it, it sits pretty flat. But you do have to constantly keep paying attention. I, n- I never knew that people stay with it for for the entire time it cures. I, I built a, a surfboard this um, yeah last winter. It's not completely done yet because it's getting a motor and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, it's actually a, a hydrofoil, and I spent yeah maybe two days on the CNC cutting the blank, and then I uh, covered it with epoxy. And after that, uh, there were weeks and weeks of just filling holes and sanding them and filling them again until everything was smooth. And luckily, mine one gets painted, so it wasn't that critical. But with wood, I would be really scared to mess up the uh, epoxy process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the the uh, you don't sit with it till it's fully cured because that's usually like 20 hours till it's completely sandable. But you go until you know nothing's moving anymore, and then it goes into its own sort of curing process, which is just not going to move anymore, and nothing's going to pucker up. But like the other day, I glued in the. Uh, Again, with po- with epoxy, I had some thickener added. I glued in the, the yoke, which is the first rib between the either that connects both sides. And if you were going to mm-hmm. pick the canoe up from the center point, you pick it up from the yoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, I glued that in with epoxy. I will eventually put some brass screws in it as well. But I glued it into place first, and I had a kind of tension in both gunnels a little bit by about an inch, maybe less than an inch. And But that tension to want to go back out was always there, so I – clamped it in place i clamped it the tension in with the long clamp and the next day i went into the bucket where they had a little bit of leftover residue and i checked it and it felt hard i'm like okay so that's cured so i took all the clamps off and then as i was kind of sanding around on it feeling i felt underneath a drip and that drip i could still push my fingernail into it so i i ran and i got the (laughs) clamp and i put it back on it because if it was still a little gooey you know that tension is just pulling those joints apart yeah Because it's been very, it's been humid and wet, and this epoxy dries much faster when it's warm and and dry out. And so, even though it had been about 12 hours, I, I didn't trust it. So I put that clamp back on it for another 24 hours, so that when it cured, it wasn't curing with the tension of the boat pulling apart on it. But these are things you just got to pay attention to. Uh, I, yeah. I can't imagine yeah, having the patience I, we, to we, do that. <laughs> It just seems like, well, I mean, Jimmy, you act like you don't, you know, you rush through projects, whatever, but that seems like a project that took a a massive amount of patience. Is that not, I'm sure that's correct, right? Um, Say that one more time. I just was, I was just checking an email. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm trying to put an emergency to bed, but go ahead. Well, you, you claim to be, I mean, generally you don't have a lot of patience. Is that accurate just from what, what you've, what you've said? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm a bit haphazard. I mean, maybe I'm just being hard on myself because people see my stuff and they go, oh, pure perfection. And I go, I'm glad you think that. Cause, cause I mean, I, I guess, but I guess that's what I'm saying is you say that, but at the same time, it seems like a project like this just took 
a massive amount of patience, more than I could ever put into it. It does. It certainly does. And uh, I, I immediately want to start building another one as soon as I'm done with this because I have the strong back and I'm going to try and get creative. Now that I've been through the process and I understand the proper way to do it, now it's time for me to get creative and do it my own way and try and come up with some interesting techniques to incorporate into uh, the second how, build for me. How about uh, stitch and glue? What is that? Stitch and glue, you don't know. It's um, You have pieces of plywood, four millimeter thick plywood, um, and those pieces, you can fold them together a little bit like origami to form a hull, and you stitch them mm -hmm. together at the seams, like you stitch uh, fabric. And then you glue those um, joints where they join, uh, where they touch each other. You glue them with super glue, and then you can remove the stitches. And then you end up with a hull made out of plywood that has some curves to it because it's, yeah, it's um, stitched together like fabric and that builds curves and then everything gets epoxied as well. So at the end you have the same strength, but you don't need to have the strips. You just have pieces of plywood, a really big pieces. I think for a kayak uh, or a canoe, you maybe need four pieces in total. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I gotta get I'm, experimental. I'm surprised you, you don't guys... know about it. <laughs> you know, I've been looking at some boat techniques, uh, like building like the, the, the hulls of some bigger sailboats. And you see how they take plywood and they put them across all the ribs and then they put another layer of plywood across those ribs in the opposite direction, all epoxied mm -hmm. in, sometimes airbagged in. And then they put a fine layer of like a thin strip of like clean wood and then that gets another coat of epoxy and then it gets painted white. So it looks like a fiberglass boat, but in fact, the whole thing is like laminated thin sheets of plywood. Put laminated together. wood. And wow. someday yeah. it will rot <laughs> really badly. <laughs> you get like a little, yeah. it's like, a, it's that would be kind of like, a, like for instance, like the way a tooth would decay. Once the enamel gets a little chimp in it, then internally it starts yeah. to go. Oh, yeah. So, you might so. as well start bailing. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. one way to describe Stitching it. Stitching glue is a little bit like welding. Yeah. Yeah, you got to send me a video on that. I want to see how that works. Yeah, there, there are kits for that. I, I send you a link. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, my my experience has always been fiberglass with boats. Just I don't know. It seems easier to me. I, I guess it's I don't know. I, I guess I don't have the patience for you know of Jimmy Irving. You sometimes Mac just sometimes I just want to make a a working prototype and just see that I can and then shove it off to the side, you know, because I'm tired of it at that point. <laughs> well, what happens with me is like a lot of times and, you know, I'm also like, I'm kind of, I'm always juggling 15 things, which is sort of a personal problem I have to deal with. But a lot of times I'll get into something and I'll be like, you know what, this is enough. This is enough to show the idea the concept or this is enough. Like, for instance, I made the candy bars the other day and everyone's picking on me. There's a video I just put out. Everyone's picking on me that, that I, I, I didn't temper the chocolate. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just showing people how to <laughs> be creative. Temp with the chocolate. What is that? Even? I, I don't even know what that means, but I asked the chef friend of mine. They're like, oh, yeah, that's when you bring the heat up to this level and then you bring it back down and you bring it back up and you bring it back down and it prevents the chocolate from blooming and it makes it more castable. I'm like, whatever. You know, I just. Oh, there you go. Whatever. It's, 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 so when it comes to the boat, I did take some shortcuts, but not really very many because I wanted to go through the process the way it's meant to be. And when I'm done with it, I'm going to look back and say, okay, now I have my own versions of these ideas. I have my own thoughts on how to do some of this. And I want to attack my second canoe with a little bit more creative input, you know, from me. Yeah, I just so sent you some creative input. It's it's down in the chat thing underneath the 
audio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, very cool. If I click on this, am I going to lose you guys? Or is it going to go to a no, new link? No, no. It's a new link. What are you doing with the chocolate bars? Did you give them away already? No, no. I ate one of them for camera. and uh, <laughs> Half of them. Half of them. Oh, I'm looking at this. This is cool. Yeah, I, I, I see. So it's a stitch. I never saw this process. Very cool. Yeah, I've, I've never yeah, heard of that. Yeah, Sounds interesting. Yeah, wow. That's really, really cool. Well, maybe it's um, a niche that just I knew about. Then. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they so uh, they showed the it chocolate untested. was just fun. What? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> uh, they, they showed it on Tested a few weeks ago. Uh, some guy built a tiny, tiny, tiny boat. It's just big enough to fit one person. Oh. And it's an electric boat, I think. Yeah, with a little car battery or something like that. And it, right. it looked quite fun. Very cool. Hmm. Something really not useful. But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the, sorry, uh, I, I, I'm going to experiment with some exotic woods. So I'm going to kind of get more, I'm more inspired by, uh, by Trent. Trent. Check out Trent Presley's channel. You'll notice he also kind of built his first couple canoes in a traditional style. And then he immediately got crazy doing all these exotic woods. I don't know if I'll do exotic woods. Maybe I'll do a completely non-exotic wood, which might make it exotic in and of itself. But I've got to come up with some creative, some, some ideas. Yeah, some plywood or something. That's you know some some uh, yeah. what's the, the the pallet wood? That's the the popular wood from what? Two, oh three yeah, years ago, right? do a pallet wood canoe. <laughs> <laughs> right, and a resin river. Yeah, we we had a whole discussion about these things and how they uh, I guess could be controversial as materials. Is that a good way to put it, Max? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you you guys talked about river tables. <laughs> uh, River tables and uh, that uh, building stuff out of plywood because it's for uh, out of uh, pallet wood because it's for free is like uh, if a painter uses his own feces to draw paintings. <laughs> did you see the? Uh, did you see the? Uh, there was a who's the, the the crazy guy who always imitate? He's always in disguise interviewing people. Uh, uh, Sarah Baron Cohen. Yeah, he did that guy with that made. Uh, he made. Uh, he made <laughs> paintings out of feces and stuff like that, and he sold. It. He was able to sell it to an art, art dealer. Oh yeah, they actually sold it. How much did he sell it for? They s- oh, I know you got to watch it. I forget. Oh, that's disgusting. But I I, guess, I, I guess I'd be driving past an art dealer in in Hamburg. That's really expensive. Like it, it's an expensive neighborhood, and I really didn't like the art. Um, I was there <laughs> with a friend who is an artist, and she said she she doesn't think it's good art either. Uh, apparently she knows because she studies art and we thought like maybe we should just draw something really stupid and then dress up like an artist would dress up and just try to sell it to that shop you know just that's kind of what Sasha that did counts. that's what that's what that's what Sasha Baron Cohen kind of did you got to look up his newest show I think that's the difference called. between so, him and me he actually does what he dreams this is America right <laughs> nice yeah I, I was uh yeah I, I was a big fan of some of his one out of two of his big movies I really liked. Other one, uh, <laughs> a little, little bit too much for me. <laughs> yeah, we did talk about him. That's why I told, told that I uh, went to see Borat with my dad because I thought it's a good movie to watch <laughs> with, your, with your parents. <laughs> right, right. Well, better than Bruno, I guess. But that's. Hey, so did you guys, did, did either of you guys actually build your own boat yet? You know uh, what? Yeah, well, yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy. Well, <laughs> describe what you guys made. All right. So I guess like, I don't know. I hate to even call it a boat, but I remember when I was really little, maybe seven or eight, 
my dad and I built this um, fiberglass wrap together. It was just, you know, fiberglass covering a, just a thing of uh, foam. And, I, you know, I thought that was really, you know, really awesome for, you know, for the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I guess I haven't, haven't built anything from scratch after that. I had a, had a catamaran, a, I think it was a 16 foot catamaran that I was always, always trying to fix. I think I had a rip in the side and the, the, um, the boom, the, the mast where the boom attached to the mast, there was some piece that I had to remake for it. So you know, a lot of repairs, you know, boats, they're in the water all the time. So obviously they get, they just take constant maintenance to keep them from just disintegrating. But other than that, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I've ever made a boat from scratch. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what about you, Max? Not yet. You, not yet. That's right. Not yet. <laughs> now you're working on the. Oh, by and the your way, kids I, are getting in the right age, so you should build something with them. Oh yeah, that's good. Do that's you good guys, point. by the way, do you, have you guys been watching Samson Boat Company? You watching? Oh Leo yeah, Samson? of course. Yeah, he's yeah. crazy. Boy, Absolutely a, crazy. That what project. What an undertaking, right? For, for for those that know don't know what it is, he he took this. How do I put this? It was like the worst kind of boat you can imagine. It's just pieces of wood. It, it's. It, it's just firewood, it's like the hull of the ship, basically. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a big hull of the ship. With lots of holes in it. Everything is rotting. It's huge. It's super huge. It's just It work. is a proper sailboat that's like meant to cross the Atlantic. Yeah, but it doesn't even have a mast or anything like that. It doesn't have a motor. The, it doesn't yeah, have a deck. At the moment, it has nothing. Yeah. It's, it's just <laughs> it pieces. It's, it's, it's like uh, if a whale strands somewhere and then decays and you just have the bones left over. That's what <laughs> right. it has. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yep, it's a hundred and something years old. It's called the Tally Ho, and he 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 hoisted it back. Guy gave it to him for one dollar. I think that was more of a ceremonious thing, ceremonial thing. And he he had it hauled to a location in the northeast of America, somewhere in Seattle. And he's been working on it. And at this point, he realized a lot of the boat is more rotted than he could really repair. So he's slowly and methodically replacing just about every single piece of the boat. And he's wow. an amazing boat builder. He's got all he the really techniques down. And he doesn't care he does about the challenge. He does not seem old enough. No. He doesn't seem old enough, no. right? He doesn't seem old no. enough to have this wisdom, but he really knows his thing. His, his yeah. well, right. I mean, you'd think a boat builder would be have to be about 150 years old to really know what he was doing, but I guess... <laughs> no, I mean, he doesn't seem like he's 30, this kid. I, I mean, where do you even pick up this knowledge? He doesn't seem like something that's really done that he, well He anymore. definitely was an apprentice... He was an yeah. apprentice in a boat shop in, in, in England, and he actually goes back during the series, and he goes back to where he used to work. Oh, what what I find amazing about his channel is I, I've been watching him for maybe a year or just half a year, maybe. It, it seems a very yeah. short period that he popped up. He started a year ago in September, because he wrote to me, and he okay. put up his first, second, third video, and he said, how do I get how do I get subscribers? I said, wow, what you're doing is amazing. I said, I'll show it to as many people as I can think of. I said, but in the meantime, just keep doing what you're doing, and you know, you're so genuine, and you're so... You're so passionate. I said, it's just going to start to rub off. And it is. It's definitely picking and up steam. The, the amount of projects he did within that year just to accomplish building the boat. You know, he got a saw. He set up the saw. He got wood. He got the wood delivered. He's sorting it. Yeah. He built. The, <laughs> he removed the old keel and built the new keel already. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, all this stuff like. And, and a purple and, and, heart, a $6,000 piece of purple heart. Wow. Yeah. And and we've got and he, sometimes he issues, joint. you know, doing small projects in our shops. Yeah, he scarf jointed it together because it wasn't long enough. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, it's like the projects you gotta. It's always a, a thing to me. It's like, okay, I'm doing this project so I can do this other project that'll let me do this other project. It's just yeah. the amount of time you spend and the boat with tool making and stuff is. 
Oh, for sure. The boat's got to weigh, I mean, 10 or 12,000 pounds. I mean, that's how big it is. We're not talking about a canoe you could pick up over your head with a yoke. I'm talking about a proper sailboat. It's maybe 60 feet long. I don't know. I don't know how long it is. You know, I'm a big fan of SV Seeker. Have you heard about them? Yeah, I visited him. I've been to his place. It's crazy. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've followed him for a long, long time. And he said, oh, it's got to be done in three years. And that was six years ago. Yeah, he's crazy. He's like, oh, oh, he's got like a bus. He's like, the engine's going over there. And I'm like, it's like, you think a guy's crazy. Like, what do you mean the engine from this is going in there? Oh, no, no, no. We got well, it. That's, that's a then, good idea, I know, think. That, use a bus engine because there are lots of bus engines out there and they're yep. much cheaper than marine engines. Yeah. No, I'm just saying, like, you, you think he's nuts. Like, you think he's talking crazy talk, but he really means it and he really does it. He is, does it. He does it. His passion is is unparalleled. It's great yeah. that he's just so, you know, same with Leo. Like, he's like, oh, I'm going to do this. And you're like, what? What's wrong with you? And then he does it. It's great. Yeah, he's a real do-it-yourself guy. He does everything himself. If he could yeah. save a few bucks, he would spend weeks doing some something just over buying it which i find sometimes a bit counterproductive but then for youtube it's great because you learn new techniques and stuff that you wouldn't know about otherwise right right yeah i agree with that because sometimes you just think well i could buy this for 25 dollars. i could spend 10 hours making it and it's like if it's not going to be a interesting build for you or your audience it's you know you probably just need to buy it you know <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i think money wise it's, it's it's never really worth it building something yourself if you consider the time if you can buy it yeah yep yeah i, I built a canoe caddy a few months ago that was actually i think worth it building it because it was just three hours and right what is a canoe caddy something to wheel it around uh, it? a caddy yeah yeah like what like what april made uh i think yeah she built one yeah but hers was attached yeah. to the canoe i think yeah 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 it was yeah, like my... a kayak like wheels on a kayak or something yeah it's oh, just a dolly what i built like a... but yeah that's an interesting concept, like a, um, you know, like a like a seaplane, except it's more like a land, a land canoe, I guess. Is that you know because you put the landing gear down, you yeah. just drag it out, right? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> a few years ago, that there's this island north of Canada. It's I think it's called Victoria Island. Could mm -hmm. be completely wrong about the name, but it's uninhabited and it's a little bit like Mars and nobody ever crossed it, I think. That was the challenge. And they said, we want to be the first guys that cross it. So they took two normal canoes. They fitted giant, uh, I think it was car wheels on either side. And it, then they tried to drag these canoes over the island. They wanted to pull most of it until they reached the one and only river on the island and then follow the river a bit uh, to the other side so they could be the first ones to cross it. And they built these things they flew over there which was expensive and all of that because there's no airport there's nothing there it was difficult to getting a pilot to fly them over and then they arrived and after one day i think they just made a few hundred meters worth of progress and they figured out yeah. that their kayaks are completely unusable and Whoa. they abandoned everything <laughs> they flew back and then a few years later they came back and they had giant um tires just the inner tubes like as big as a person and they had four of them and they uh, built this little cart for that. And that was finally, you know, had enough surface area to f to sit on top of the rocks and they could pull it. A really wow. good doc documentary. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Send me that. I'd like to see that. Uh, yeah. I'll send you a link. Do you guys know the story of, of uh, Shackleton? The Shackleton expedition oh, was... that tried to cross the uh, Arctic? He, 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 the oh, is that where everybody died? 
Uh, no, actually, this in this one, everybody lived. <laughs> oh, oh, when when they when they sailed across to the other island, like a well, few of them. Yeah, they. Well, yeah, so there's the Franklin expedition, which is the one that tried to find the Northway Passage across Canada. They all died. That was in like 1850s, and then uh, about 60, 70 years later, in, in 1915, 1914, the guys went uh, across the Arctic. The Arctic, yeah, I'm thinking Antarctic is the north, Arctic is the south. So they tried, they landed there and their boat got stuck in the ice pack and they said, okay, let's just wait till the spring, till it, you know, they get all the time in the world. Let's wait till the spring. No iPhones. They actually have to talk to each other and be friends. And so 22 guys, 22, 23 guys, they all made it. The boat got crushed in the ice ultimately. It took about 10 months for the boat. The boat sank, sank slowly. So they were able to get all their stuff off it. They saved a couple of skiffs that were lifeboats and they dragged the skiffs across the ice with all their stuff in it they kept making camps and they tried to figure out what to do and then they they walked all the way they walked on the ice all the way till they got to this point they took one of the skiffs outfitted it to take another sail and then they navigated only three of the guys or four of the guys got in that boat went all the way back to this little island that they stopped at two years previous to get supplies got to the island but got to the wrong side is the only side they could approach And they walked across the island to get oh, to the yeah. other side, to where the cabin was, where they got supplies, or the or the the outpost was where they got supplies. Knocked on the door two years after they got there for the first time, and they go, "Hey, remember us?" You know, beards down to their chests, and they go, "We uh, we got stuck in the ice. Can you help us?" So, they went back and picked up the rest of the guys, and everybody in that part of the expedition lived. I saw a reenactment of that, and they had this this boat that they sailed across to the other island. It was just yep. a tiny, tiny boat. It was just a yep, dinghy, they, basically. They filled yep. the bottom of the boat with sharp, sharp rocks, not nice and smooth rocks, sharp rocks. They were sitting on that right. for a few days, completely wet. They couldn't cook anything because they didn't have fire right. or any right. warmth. They didn't have food either. It was the most horrible conditions you can imagine. Whales with every, uh, not, not whales, waves. Every wave would yep. crushing over and come into the boat. Absolutely yep. horrible. And they survived. And it was cold out. <laughs> uh, yeah, that does sound And horrible. they had to go from like the tip of that little inlet, almost 800 miles in the ocean, to hit this little tiny island. And they navigated, you know, the stars, you know, the, there was a navigator, the carpenter and the captain and one other person I think was on the boat. <laughs> uh, sounds like fun. <laughs> And the whole at least time they, they, they didn't they, get stuck in the mud at least. <laughs> they didn't get stuck in the mud and they couldn't check their emails until they got back to land. <laughs> makes makes uh, I guess our problems seem kind of minuscule by, by comparison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's the problem the they put here? themselves in by pure will. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know. That's, that's they they wanted to do this. It's not like they just got... get on the internet. <laughs> not like they just got kidnapped from their homes <laughs> and thrown into the Antarctic or Arctic... Yeah, no, it, 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 he put the news, if you ever watched the documentary, I've watched all of them as much as I can find. He's, he put in the newspaper, uh, expedition, men wanted, dangerous, might not come back. That's what he put in the paper. <laughs> Lots like, of women signed up their husbands. Yeah. <laughs> that was for the blacksmith class. That was what it was. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> and, but at least six people came back from that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a good note to uh, end the session because, yeah, we reached the time limit. Thank um, you. Best of luck with your uh, blacksmithing class tomorrow. I hope everybody Thank you. Get, comes, comes home with something nice. What are you building? 
Um, I, I'm just we're doing ornamental. If you guys watch Rory May, Rory May is the Dirty Smith on YouTube. He does a lot of ornamental stuff. He's not he does and he has and he's been blacksmithing his entire life, but he's been doing architectural ornamental stuff, not necessarily knives and hammers. So he said he didn't want this class to be about knives and hammers, which to me is a relief. Uh, we'll have a special class about that at another time. But this is intro to blacksmithing and uh, ornamental blacksmithing. So we'll probably that's make cool. like leaves and nails and stuff like that and just oh, basic nice. techniques. You've got enough yeah. hammers to give everybody of your class members one and you still had too many. I think so. <laughs> I think so. But, but I got a little nervous because yesterday Rory looks around and goes, these are the hammers we're using? I'm like, because they're not like exactly blacksmithing. I'm like, well, I mean, it's just a piece of metal on a stick. It's going to be okay, no? He's like, so this is the hammer we're using? It's just something to go to Harbor Freight and get a new one for himself. So, yeah, I got to dig up some more blacksmithy type hammers. It's probably a voucher for that. Well, thanks uh, for being our guest, Jimmy. <laughs> Best thank of luck you. and thank you keep making me. videos. Guys, thank you very much. Good to talk yeah, with thanks you. Thanks so much. We really, really appreciate it. And if you want to know more about what we're doing, follow Jeremy and I on our YouTube channels. Jeremy is Jeremy S. Cook on YouTube and I'm just Max Maker on YouTube. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. You find us if you look for, yeah, Jeremy S. Cook and Max Maker. Thanks for watching, guys. And please subscribe to this podcast and also to our YouTube channels. And of course, also to Jimmy DeResta's channels. But I think he already got all the makers subscribed to his channel. So thanks for listening, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>